What is up, guys, and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. And James, yes. we are so close to finishing this year. How do you feel about that? Bad to see the back of it, to be honest. It's Yeah, it's been an interesting year, hasn't it? It's it's not been the, the saviour year, I think we thought it was. But, no, uh, we've not got particularly high hopes for next year either. Oh Well, as it stands, no, I, I did uh, until literally a couple of days ago. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's rapidly coming to the end. I think next week is actually going to be our last one of the year. Mm-hmm. So it might be time to get Paul out of the shed to come in for a conversation. Uh, I think this is the first time you actually get to meet Paul in person, isn't it? I out know. Of the shed, yeah. Then that means we have to find the keys. Yeah, yeah, we probably should try that. Yeah. <laughs> might just break the shed and buy a new one or something, <laughs> or an old one, second hand. There we go. <laughs> second hand's do good. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Half burnt. There we go. <laughs> Fire damaged. Perfect. <laughs> so, James, we didn't really have much of a plan going into today until you just wouldn't shut up about Crocodile. Indeed. Would you like to talk about it? No, I'll let you do that. Oh, okay. You've got Fair the enough. tablet. Well, yeah, this is true. <laughs> I, I've written a few notes down about it anyway, so uh, I guess that's what we're talking about. You know, if I've done preparation for something, it means we kind of have to do it. Yeah. I mean, Crocodile is, is, is going to be a bit of a weird one because it's not going to be our regular game highlight episode where you know we're sort of going to go through the components because th- there is next to none it's a really old game it it's, is a it's really not, old game you know despite that it's still available it is a very old game it's a traditional it's actually officially recognized as a traditional dexterity game that's something new mm-hmm. it, it's kind of very few games in that category so let's have a little bit of a chat about it looking forward to it So, for those of you that do not know what Crocodile is, first and foremost, what rock have you been living under? It is an awesome game. It was originally patented by a Canadian in 1880. Did you know it was that old, James? I knew it was old, but maybe not quite that old. I would have, to be honest, I would have actually guessed earlier than that. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible. That was just when it was originally patented. Yeah. You know, there are people that say it's even older than that, as you said. And I can well believe it as well, but yeah. there's only so much research I can do in an hour. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but yes, 1880 is when it was first patented. And it's basically, it is a highly polished circular wooden board where players flick circular wooden discs to try and score points in various scoring sections on the board. That's pretty much it. Do you want to talk about the components that come when you buy Crocodile? Uh, I'm going to guess that the components are the board and some wooden pucks. Yeah, because it's a two or four player game, you get basically two sets of circular wooden discs. And as I said, a highly polished, high quality wooden board. Um, The idea being is that those wooden pucks glide over that that wooden board. And obviously, if you don't keep it treated, eventually it's not going to work properly and you won't be able to get that nice gliding motion and overshoot of the pucks as you flick your friend in the face with your puck yes <laughs> i mean the first thing the i think the way i described it the first time i saw it so it's like it's a very old air hockey table without the air essentially yeah because those little wooden pucks they're actually slightly like curved inwards so yeah. there is a cushion of air under most of those pucks so theoretically yeah i would say you you've got the the right sort of premise there yep 
So yes, let's let's have a little bit of a, I'll read me a little blurb here that I've managed to cobble together as to explain how the game is played. As this is a traditional game, there are many variations played throughout the world. But for the purpose of this discussion, I would like to say that we play by the official recognized method based on the National Crocodile Association's rules, which also happen to govern the World Crocodile Championships. Now, James... Did you know that there is a Crocodile World Championship? I did not. There is indeed, and it is highly competitive indeed. I don't <laughs> think either of us would stand a chance. I, I can believe that, considering we played it with me, you and Ant, and it got very competitive very quickly. Oh, it did indeed. It did indeed. On a player's turn, the player must position their puck on, essentially, it's like a starting line on their corner or their quarter of the circular board. Um, but it must be touching that outer scoring boundary, which we will get to a bit later because there is scoring. And then that player must use essentially a flicking motion in order to flick that puck anywhere on the board. Now, this is where the rules differ from other things. If there are no opponent's pucks on the board, the player must aim for the center of the board. If there are other players' pucks on the board, he must aim and hit at least one of those opponent's pucks now the idea being is to stop your opponent from scoring points uh, by either removing their puck from the board by flicking it off or by knocking it to a lower scoring area or if you're me knocking it into a higher scoring area because i'm an idiot yep uh, well that happens quite a lot it does it does indeed now scoring let's get on to it because that's what this game is about it's about scoring points Scoring is actually allocated by the board section where your puck ends up. The centre hole in slap bang in the centre of the board is where you really want to be aiming for. That gets you 20 points and the puck is actually removed from the table, which means those 20 points are safe. Doesn't matter because there is no way that that puck can be removed by another player. If you're in the circle around that centre sort of I suppose it's an indentation in the board, isn't it, yep. that the puck drops into? That gets you 15 points. The next circle out gets you 10 points. And then the final circle gets you five points. Yep. If at the end of the round, your puck is touching or over the outer scoring line, it is removed from the board. I suppose we should also mention that that inner 15-point circle is also guarded by little wooden pegs, which will cause you to want to flip the table over at some point oh yes indeed because <laughs> it's it's when when you get that you think you've lined up that perfectly good shot and of course you haven't where it wouldn't normally be an issue because it might just slide nicely into the the 15 point scoring zone but no it hits the uh hits that guard wall fancy type horribleness and yep. just ricochets back off the board and scores you no points whatsoever yep so yeah bit annoying that one in a two-player game you have 12 pucks which you are taking in turns to actually play. Once you go through all of those 12 pucks, you have to then tot up the scoring for that round. And scoring is done in the, in the championships. This is where it's very different to everything else. Say, for example, I have managed to score, say, 80 points or 100 points. Let's say I've scored 100 points, James, and you've managed to score 80 points. What you actually do is take away your pointage from mine, which means I have scored 20 points points for that round that goes onto my score sheet and it's the first player to 100 points wins the game that is 
essentially the full premise. The only difference is that four-player variant. Instead of having 12 pucks each, you split them and it's you're tag-teaming, basically. So I have six, my teammate has six, and as do the other team, exactly the same. That's pretty much it, James. It's a really, really simple concept. As I said, there's many, many variations, but this is probably the most popular, most well-known, because yep. it's the officially, you know recognized method yep. um there are there is also just on the on the rules point there is the um the risk of doing it only equivalent i can think of is a snooker term which is ca the cannon shot mm. where as you mentioned your puck has to touch an opponent's puck first if it is on the board that does mean that you can knock one of you can knock your shot into one of your pucks which can then move on further to hit an opponent's exactly puck. yeah but if you miss, every puck you touch on the way is removed from the board. Yes, indeed. So there is an element of risk in, in doing that. But when you do perform that nice little trick shot yeah. and it pays off, oh, it's so satisfying. Yeah, equally depressing when you wipe off two of your 15 point pointers <laughs> because it doesn't quite make it. Yeah, exactly. And obviously the, the other added bonus to... to those little, you know, the, the, the pegs in the middle of the board that we were talking about is it enables you to perform that ultimate snooker move mm. where you've managed to bed yours in right next to a, a peg, which yep. means your opponent has to perform that trick shot where he misses all the pegs and hits your your puck in order to get it off the board. Yep. And it becomes incredibly difficult. It and yeah, it's you waste so many pucks trying to shift the little what's it indeed <laughs> indeed many many names uh most of them we can't repeat on here indeed <laughs> we'll talk about the quality okay so the the board that we've been playing on ant has got a really really nice board and they are readily available they're not cheap they are in the region of about 300 pounds for these boards but they are exceptional quality woods yeah most of them are made with oak and as i said they are high they are literally polished and waxed to within an inch of their life. Yeah. But they, God, do they look good. Mm. What, what's your opinions? Oh, yeah, there is, it's a beautiful piece of woodwork, basically, mm. and that's why they're so expensive. Indeed. And you can get cheaper versions, I will say that. They're not, they don't tend to be circular. They're a bit more sort of, I suppose, personal poker table size, uh, sort of hexagon yeah. shape, but obviously the actual play area is still circular. I can't comment on the quality of those. I've never seen one in person, but I believe they're out there and fairly readily available. But yeah, the, the quality is just so, so good. Yep. I, I can't fault it. I know it may be a lot of money, but God, do I want one? Yep. I know I don't need one because, you know, I can always use Ant's table, but oh God, do I want one? Yep. But I mean, it's worth mentioning as well, the maintenance Mm. you you have to maintain this thing you have yeah. to regularly uh well i mean when when you purchase it it comes with special wax it comes yep. it even comes with powder yeah should you want to powder up the uh the puck so that they glide even more you yeah know? like like chalking your cue in snooker exactly or i mean yeah it's but yeah it's the amount the the fact that you have to regularly wax the table, mm -hmm. you have to maintain this thing and yeah it's worth it. the amount of money you spend on it it's like yeah yeah. do the maintenance yeah and when we say table it's not it doesn't come with legs this this is literally it's just a board yeah so you still have to have a sizable table in order to plonk this thing down on mm. now 
let's let's talk about the gameplay because there's a few elements that I haven't quite covered in the how to play bit, shall we say. Now, this is something where the rules actually get quite funny, but you can understand why. Now, you get given a quarter of the board to play your pucks from. One thing I didn't cover was the rule of very much like snooker, where your only one foot has to remain yes. on the floor the whole times. In Crocodile, once you sit down for a round, you do not move. Yeah. You are allowed to lean with one butt cheek remaining on the chair at all times. The chair must not move. Mm-hmm. There's no getting up, no readjusting the chair. None of that. Yep. You must stay seated. How 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 hard is that? It is very difficult. <laughs> very difficult. I mean, it's difficult not to nudge the chair by accident, let mm. alone when you want to when you've got got to make that really tight corner shot and you're just sort of like no, lean, 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 lean. Yeah. I mean, you sort of think, like, well, that seems like a bit of a silly rule. But actually, when you think about it, go back to that whole idea of someone trying to snooker you using those pegs. Mm. It might actually be quite easy to get that in a straight line if you get up, mm. line up the puck, say, right in the top corner of your quarter yep. and shoot straight through. Whereas it- if you've got to lean, you lose all forms of control. But also, it's that... Do I sit close to the table so that I've got a good position for a flicking motion, or do I sit slightly further back from the table so I can bend down and line my shot up properly? Because it's pros and cons, but I, I really like that rule. It's like, no, no, once once you have decided on your seating position and the game has begun, you do not move. Indeed, and it adds so much hilarity to it yes. as well, especially, like, I'm right-handed, okay? And my, my left hand might as well... I, I could probably cut it off and I wouldn't be any worse for wear. Yeah. In this game, that makes it really difficult. If I need to make a shot from my left side, I have to lean onto my left buck cheek and use my right hand to try and flick. And it goes horribly wrong every single time. So does this game benefit someone who's maybe ambidextrous? Oh, definitely. Any other parts of the gameplay that you can think of that you really like or particularly dislike maybe uh i can't think of any dislikes and i think we've covered most of the actual thing it is a very simple game yeah knock knock the puck into the hole yeah or as close to the hole as you possibly can Mm. what about the the scoring do you like the way that the scoring works rather than say oh i get one point for this section two points for this section three points for this section and then they yeah i mean doing it in fives is is perfectly reasonable i suppose if the total total score you're aiming for is 100 it's like it could be any multiple that goes into 100 yeah. basically yeah no that's that's fair i think as well because it's it can be as quick or as long as you want to make it depending on how how much people are time they're taking to take the shots but i sometimes with a game like this i think bigger multiple scoring is better because it also it does speed the rounds up a little bit mm. i mean if it was one two and five and you're ultimately trying to get to 100 it's like it could take hours yeah yeah i agree to, do, to, do, to actually get to that 100 where it's like no 5 10 15 20 yeah. so let, let's i mean we're talking about length of game there james i mean mm. how long roughly would you say a round of crocodile takes and how long would you say a game takes roughly ultimately it depends on the skill level of the players because yeah. i mean if you're if you're evenly matched against your opponent and you're constant because it is possible to go several rounds where you both score nothing yes because you've so good you just keep knocking each other's pucks off the board yeah or you're you're matching each other's scores and, and therefore stopping your opponent from getting 
getting those points. So yeah, yeah, there is ways for this game to last a very long time. But the thing is, as someone who doesn't particularly like stupidly long games, mm. I love Crocodile. It is possibly one of the most addictive games I think I've ever played. Mm. And it's so simple. It really is. Yep. Oh, no, I know. I I agree a hundred percent. It's like after playing that first game, it's like oh, I want to go again. I'm I could have made that shot. And then mm. this time, this time I'm gonna. Yeah, it's worse than drugs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And the thing is, what one thing I always think about when I review games, and I've said it to you a couple of times, is you know it happened with you with Nemesis, and it happened again with Crocodile. It's like mm. you you finished the game night, and you were thinking about it on the way home. Yeah, and then the next day, you oh, I could have done this or. Uh, you know, you're thinking next about time the I, game. Next time, this I'll try this strat. Yeah, if, exactly. if it sticks yeah. in your mind after the game night, it's a winner. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing with Crocodile that happens all the time. And mm. literally every game night we host now, I'm literally checking my phone, going, "Is Anthony coming tonight? Mm. Is he coming tonight? Is he going to bring Crocodile? I can't wait to play it again." Mm. You know, it's it really is an addictive game. It's not something that. You know, I'm, I'm sure I've, over a period of time, you're not going to want to play it every single night. However, I've not hit that wall yet. Mm. There was a point where I played it most nights for a, a week. Well, we've been talking about maybe uh, doing a little club championship, championship haven't yeah. we? And we're all really excited about it. So yeah. it's like, yeah. Let, let's be honest. When we actually had it at the club, how many people crowded around that table mm. for something so, so simple? Most, yeah. of the ga- most of the games ended up leaving their games to come and check out what was going on and that's like this is amazing yeah you know they had a crocodile board at ukge again was the same you couldn't get close to it Mm. it was so so popular and i I, yeah i can't i can't say enough good things about it to be honest and this is coming from someone as i'm not gonna say it's more than first impressions Mm. because i've played it enough now but i'm still new to it you know i first played it less than a month ago at this point and i'm addicted to it yeah i really Same, same You know, it's on the Christmas list. I mean, if someone wants to buy me a crocodile ball for three hundred pounds, you know, I'm, I'm I will gladly take it. <laughs> but normally at this point, we sort of think about going onto a meeple rating. I, I don't think it's fair to really do games like this with, with a meeple rating because you're not. We could give it top marks for quality because mm. of the quality of the wood, stuff like that. You know, gameplay. It, there's not much to it. No but it's that addictiveness so we're not going to do a standard meeple rating for this but is there anything you want to say with regards to what you know who you'd recommend it to and that kind of stuff i think you could recommend this uh, crocodile to anyone literally mm-hmm. anyone it is aside from not doing a standard meeple rating all i can say is if you get the opportunity to try this game play it yeah and the, be- the lovely thing about this game is any age could play this oh yeah literally any age you know, if you've got a big old expensive board, I mean, may I don't think there's much damage kids could do to it, really. But, you know, you're going to want to keep drinks and stuff well away from it. Yeah. Because, you know, getting anything sticky on that surface, it's going to it's going to take a hell of a lot to buff it back out. Mm. Uh, you'll also. But but other than that, kids will love this game. Yeah. They'll find it incredibly competitive and fun to play. Maybe have separate pucks for the kids. Mm just so that you can keep the ones you play with in, in tip-top condition. I Even if I don't own a board, I'm seriously considering getting my own pucks just because I want them. Mm. 
you know, my own colours. And I've even seen boards that have been completely customised. Like I saw a Fantastic Four yep. themed board. You know, every quarter was a different character. And then you had the, the symbol in the middle. Mm. It looked fantastic. And the pucks were themed as well. But yeah, have any of you guys out there play Crokinole? Because we would love to uh, to chat to you about it. We, we've become addicted to this game. I mean, hell, we've we said we'd probably never do an episode on this, but we're so passionate about it. We just wanted to talk. We wanted to talk about it, and we didn't have a subject ready for this week, being that we're getting close to the end of the year. We're starting to wind down. So, crocodile it was, and I'm really glad we talked about it, because I think there's people out there that don't know about it, and they should. Mm. Because my statement is exactly the same as yours. If you know someone who's got a crocodile board, play it. Mm. It's great. It's addictive. You will want to play it again over and over and over at the end of the night when it's 11 o'clock at night you think to yourself i should really go home but just one more game mm. just one more game you play that game just one more game yeah just, just, one, just more. one more. Like I, said, I wasn't kidding when i said it's worse than drugs it's yeah it is indeed anyway guys we are gonna hand over to the man in the news shed he's going to uh bring you some lovely news and other things that we can spend money on Though I should be buying presents at this time of year, so yeah, yeah, games are more important though. Yep. Sorry, people. I yeah, no presents this year. I'm, I've got a gaming addiction. So, <laughs> over to you, Paul. Well, it's nice to see you haven't gone as mad on decorations this year as last year, Brian. I know that visit from the authorities last year was a little disconcerting. I mean, us outshining Gatwick and attracting planes towards the shed was a feat unto itself. But no, no, it's, it's very tasteful this year. Well done. So what's uh, going on top of the tree then? An angel? A star? You? Oh, you got me an early present? That's very kind of you. Wow, a glittery meeple to go on top of the tree. Oh, thank you, Brian. You can be very thoughtful at times, can't you? We can now bask in the glory of a job well done. And not just the decorations, but on a year putting up with me. Oh, I love you too, Brian. Right, before I get too emotional, I better get the last news of the year read out. Oh, a drink? Um, yeah. Cocoa would be lovely, thank you. With marshmallows. Perfect. The upcoming legacy board game based on the Jurassic World film franchise will allow players to build their own theme parks. Originally teased back in September, Jurassic World The Legacy of Isla Nublar is a legacy board game based on the beloved film series that began with the release of Jurassic Park back in 1993. As a legacy game, The Legacy of Isla Nublar will include 24 hours of gameplay that will change as players progress through the main story campaign, which is inspired by the various films in the Jurassic World franchise. The development team behind the upcoming board game Prospero Hall has not confirmed whether the tabletop title will contain components that players will permanently alter, as featured in many other legacy board games. Players will be able to pick up from a roster of characters taken directly from the movie series, such as Dr. John Hammond, Dr. Alan Grant, Ellie Slater, Claire Deering and Owen Grady as they work together to overcome the many challenges presented by running and eventually surviving a dinosaur theme park. 
The Legacy of Isla Nublar will feature storylines found in all five films released under the Jurassic Park and world name, from the 1993 original to the most recent Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Players will be able to take part in the creation of the initial Jurassic Park, all the way to the events of the modern Jurassic World, with 12 adventures, each taking place over two hours, that will eventually see players building their own theme park and breeding their own dinosaurs. Once players have completed the narrative campaign featured in the Legacy of Isla Nublar, they'll then have access to a replayable version of the game that will be based around the dinosaur theme park they have built. Players will start off with access to Tyrannosaurus Rex, Velociraptor, Brachiosaurus and Triceratops, which will be included as miniatures, before unlocking new breedable dinosaurs from various boxes included within the game. Jurassic World The Legacy of Isla Nublar will be heading to Kickstarter on March the 22nd. Pixar characters are finally making their debut in the Disney Villainous series with its latest standalone expansion. Disney Villainous, Bigger and Badder will not require the main game to play, but will include two playable characters from films released by animation studio Disney Pixar for the first time in the franchise. Appearing in The Incredibles, a film about a family of superheroes living in secret, Syndrome seeks to become a super being himself and will do anything he can to achieve his goal. As Syndrome, players will be commanding his army of minions and utilising his advanced technology to further his schemes, all whilst overpowering the likes of the Parr family and Frozone. In order to win a Syndrome, players will need to fully upgrade the Omnidroid, successfully defeat it, and remove all heroes within his realm. Another playable Pixar character found in Bigger and Badder is Lotso the Bear from Toy Story 3, a film in which Andy's beloved toys find themselves in a daycare centre. Just as he does in the movie, Lotso seeks to maintain control over all the toys in Sunnyside Daycare. As Lotso, players will need to reduce the strength of four heroes, which is a new mechanic added in Bigger and Badder, before putting those heroes into the caterpillar room, which is filled with boisterous toddlers ready to smash some toys. The third playable character included in Bigger and Badder is Madame Mim, a villain from one of the Disney's older and more obscure animated films, The Sword in the Stone. As a magical rival to Merlin, who is tasked with helping young Arthur achieve his destiny of becoming king in the film, Madame Mim will need to win a wizard's duel against Merlin in order to be victorious. Using her various transformations, Madame Mim must best the famous wizard before anyone else fulfills their win conditions. You can look out for Disney Villainous, Bigger and Badder as it hits stores in March 2022. Tidal Blades 2, Rise of the Unfolders, the co-op sequel to the 2018 release Heroes of the Reef, will launch on Kickstarter next February alongside the Tidal Blades RPG. The creation of designers Tim and Ben Eisner and illustrator duo Mr. Cuddington, Tidal Blades Heroes of the Reef saw players take on a role of would-be heroes hoping to earn the title of Tidal Blade by completing various challenges and ascend to the rank of champion. The board game took place in the fantasy island realm of Naviri, with each island offering different rewards for players, travelling heroes. Completing challenges came down to dice rolls with players' stats tracked on spinning dials, improving over the course of the game 
allowing them to upgrade their dice and defeat more powerful monsters. The upcoming sequel, Tidal Blades 2 Rise of the Unfolders, takes place after the Tournament of Heroes scene in Part 1. As players' new Tidal Blades are thrown into the mysterious frozen time space of the Fold in an effort to rescue their companions trapped inside and discover the mystery at its centre. Described as a highly narrative dungeon crawler, the upcoming board game switches to a co-op format, with players' characters working together across a campaign mode said to last more than 40 hours. The campaign will feature 21 connected scenarios, players can increase their stats, acquire helpful items and add cards to their deck across the course of the campaign. Tidal Blades 2 introduces new gameplay in the form of the Nexus system, a 3x3 grid of cards in front of each player. On their turn, a player adds a card to the grid before activating all the cards in a row or column where the card was played to form a combo. The Kickstarter campaign for Tidal Blades 2 will also include the Tidal Blades RPG revealed earlier this year. Built on the Cypher system used by publisher Monte Cook Games and written by prolific designer Shanna Germain, Tidal Blades the role-playing game will let players explore Naviri as original characters protecting the water world from encroaching sea monsters. Artwork will once again be provided by Mr. Cuddington, with the book said to expand significantly on the lore of the setting. The Kickstarter campaign for Tidal Blades 2, Rise of the Unfolders and Tidal Blades the RPG will launch on Kickstarter in February 2022. And we're heading on over to crowdfunding now, and all three of these are on Kickstarter, and with a couple ending this weekend, get over and have a peek. First up is Nine Minute Kingdom by Hornet Games. It's for two to four players and it takes, as it says, eight to nine minutes. It's for eight years and over and it ends on Saturday, 18th of December. Nine Minute Kingdom, a game that takes nine or fewer minutes to play. The goal of the game is to build the kingdom for which we get the most points. The players collect points in two ways, by completing the edicts and by connecting the various icons in their kingdom. The game is divided into nine turns, during which the players perform actions simultaneously. The players simultaneously pick one card and play it to the table. Next, they pass the unused cards to the player on the left. Using the received cards, the players play another card and add it to their kingdom. The game continues to the moment of playing the ninth final card. Each played card makes your kingdom grow. After completing their kingdoms, the players go to the scoring phase. Firstly, the players receive the edict cards, starting with the King's Road edict. It goes to the player with the longest connected road in the kingdom. Next, the rest of the edict cards are handed to the players who met their requirements. Additionally, the players score points for their individual terrains in their kingdom. The terrains with the highest number of different symbols generate points, which are then indicated by the scorecards, and the highest score in the kingdom wins. The Knight Pledge is just £5 for the print and play file, or the physical copy of the game will only set you back £8, and that's called the Baron Pledge. And next up is Weather Machine by Eagle Griffin Games. It's for 1-4 to four players. It's going to take you 60 to 150 minutes to complete. For ages 14 years and over, and this too ends on Saturday 18th of December. Natural disasters will soon be a thing of the past, proclaimed Professor Seni Latif, Project Chief of Meteorological Manipulation at Lightning Technologies. 
Tests of his new invention, the weather machine, showed positive results. Visions of quelling floods, subduing cyclones, and ending droughts made him smile. In Weather Machine, you are the scientists of Professor Latif's team, tampering with local weather adjusting rainfall for farms, maintaining wind and clear skies for ecological energy sources, or tweaking the temperatures for resorts and sporting events. The prototype is quite effective so far, however a pattern has emerged, revealing a worrying side effect. Each use of the weather machine also alters the conditions elsewhere on the planet via the butterfly effect. In Weather Machine, you take on the role of one of the scientists working for the professor. You must manage your own laboratory, acquiring vouchers to spend in other locations, building bots, acquiring chemicals and increasing the size of your workshop where you will store resources and build your prototypes. Once you have conducted enough research into a particular type of weather, you want to publish a paper on the subject and then build a prototype to help fix some of the extreme weather caused by the experiments made by Latif's flawed original weather machine. The research into those flaws will lead to breakthroughs that will help humanity to fix extreme weather forever, getting you awards and possibly a Nobel Prize and you can pledge at £98 for the game, with all unlocked stretch goals, a solo mode made by David Turtsey, and access to any of the campaign's add-ons. And finally is The Big Shuffle by Previously Pluto. It's for 2-4 players, takes 30-90 to 90 minutes to complete. It's for 12 years and over, and it ends on Sunday, January the 9th. The Big Shuffle is a film noir card game, where you are trying to make your way into an uncaring city. You play a classic noir character who is trying to set up the perfect scene for their agenda. You have to play smart though as it is easy for someone else to change the scene for their benefit. Full of role playing opportunities, the big shuffle pairs well with a cigar, whiskey and some smooth jazz. In essence, it is a 2-4 player game where everyone gets a different set of win conditions and you are trying to stop the others from hitting theirs with the scene cards in the middle. You not only have to plan your turn to try and change it to your win condition, but also use your reaction cards to try and stop others from winning on their turn, keeping gameplay interactive and interesting even when someone else is trying to swing things in their favour. You can pledge at £19 for the Big Shuffle Standard Edition Early Bird before it jumps up to £27. And finally, events. This weekend sees Alan over at Dungeon Crawley with the last game day of the year. That's this Sunday, 19th of December, and the location is First Langley Green Scout Hut, Lark Rise Crawley, RH117Q. And at just £5 per person for the day, inclusive of beverages. Weeklies are still ongoing with Wednesday evenings of gaming at the Comic Shop in Crawley from 4 o'clock. Thursdays has Lewis Board Game Club at the Trinity Gaming Cafe in Lewis, running from 7.30 through to 11.30pm. There's no Worthing Board Gamers this week as they've started their Christmas merriment a little early. But Dyson Drinks here in Burgess Hill are now open late on Thursdays for gaming from 6pm through to 10pm. £5 per person with refreshments available to purchase on site. And the address for that is 79 to 81 Church Walk, Burgess Hill, RH159BQ. 
And as always on Monday is Crawley Gaming Club at Tilgate Community Centre from 7pm through to 11pm. But with things as they are at the moment with restrictions coming into effect, I believe all events are now requiring masks to be worn when not eating and drinking. And as always, stay posted to the socials for any last minute changes to any of the events that may come into effect. Well, Brian, that's us for a few weeks. I know, I don't know what we're going to do with ourselves. Yeah, I know, it's board games. Lots and lots of board games. Right, say what you need to say, Brian. And it's pretty much the same from me to all our listeners. Have a very merry, as well as it can be, Christmas. A fantastic, socially distanced New Year. And we shall see you on the flip side. Only leaves me to say, stay safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling, the cards shuffling, and we shall be right here for you next year. Thank you very much for that, Paul. And thank you guys for joining us once again for another episode of the Meeple Minded Podcast. Talking about Crocodile this time, James. Yep. I feel that we are going to be talking about this game. Hopefully not on here all the time, obviously, but, it, uh, it, you know, uh, yeah. game nights, all that. We talk about it all the time. Indeed we do. My idea. I had an idea for the podcast, Jason. You did indeed, yeah. I, I'm, I'm fairly impressed. And to be honest, the main thing that impresses me is the fact that you actually like Crocodile because you mm. have an irrational hatred of dexterity games. I do. <laughs> I do. So just think, guys, every time we actually review a dexterity game, J- James is in physical torment. It's because although Crocodile is classed as a dexterity game, and I suppose it is because you are... Mm-hmm. You have to be dexterous, but it's that dexterity is used to fire the puck. Mm -hmm. It's the dexterity games. I mean, for a very simple explanation, it's dexterity games like Snap, Mm -hmm. where you are competing against someone else to be somewhere first. Yeah. I suck at those. (laughs) My just my reactions are not that good. (laughs) I'm definitely going to ensure that we have to start doing some reviews for dexterity games in in the new year. So, yeah, look forward to that, James. No. I will expect your resignation the second I <laughs> announce that. No, I'll just rate them all one out of ten. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. We, we need to start rating games badly, I think. No, no. It's a dexterity game. One. Yeah. <laughs> That's all James is going to say. One. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you very much for joining us. We will be back next week for our very last episode of 2021. I'm really sorry about that, guys, but mm-hmm. it's that time of year. So we'll be talking about, essentially, our year in review. Mm. Slight spoiler, wasn't all that great. No. But there were some highlights to it, I think, so she'll look forward to that conversation. We will invite Paul out of the shed once again. Yep. Really got to find those keys. Yeah, we'll go and find those keys now, James. So uh, let's sign off from here. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. My name has been Jason. And I've been James. You've been listening to the Meeple Minded Podcast. Join us next week for more tabletop gaming goodness, loveliness and awesomeness. Ta-ta. Goodbye.